أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى آل سيدنا محمد وبارك وسلم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحلل أقطة من لساني يفقه قولي ربي يسر ولا تؤسر وتمم بالخير السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته So this is a very important topic the usage of social media and technology today See, we're seeing a lot of people, you know, one in every five children by the age of eight already have a smartphone. One in every five children by the age of eight. Think about that. Eight-year-olds with a smartphone and how much damage this has caused. And then we also see teenagers between, you know, teenagers, right, 13 and above, spending seven hours a day on their phones and tweens, which is between ages of eight and 12, spending about five hours a day. So as parents and adults and youth, we need to understand the psychological harm and the harm of technology and social media as well. And mashallah, uh, Mulana Munib over here, he's also a software developer, and he has a lot of knowledge when it comes to technology right, because that's what he deals with. And it's gonna be very beneficial to, for us to learn from him and understand some of the psychological harms and the harms in general, inshallah. So I'm gonna start it off with the question, Moana, is with all the technological advances and uses of social media and you being in this field, what are your thoughts? You know, like how everything is developing and where do you see it going? بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله الحمد لله it's pleasure to be here pleasure to be here in this very beautiful gathering uh, very unique gathering compared to some places where where, where we're coming from so الحمد لله it's it's nice to see this um, energy, this enthusiasm for the deen, this love for the deen, this beautiful environment. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow us to grow, to flourish, and allow us, give us istiqama and give us steadfastness. And allow us to use the tools and uh, technologies that we have at our hand to aid us and not to be at our detriment or to cause us any harm. So coming to the topic of social media and technology in general, um, as uh, Brother Farhan was mentioning, this technology has changed dramatically in the past two decades. So these, uh, the uh, smartphone and these new social media platforms, whether it's Facebook, Snapchat, uh, Instagram, um, you know, the, the, the latest ones, right? Uh, TikTok and so on. All of these are very recent phenomena. And they come back, if we look at their history, they come from a, um, you know, they're, they're, many of them can be traced back to this digital persuasion labs that was established in Stanford, which was looking at the, how can technology be used to modify human behavior? How can technology be used to modify human behavior? So, they did different experiments, and there are many different experiments that are mentioned in book, books and articles. And on the surface, it might be simple, trivial experiments. You know, they took 
um, rats, and they, they wanted the rat to touch a button, to press a button. So it's a mundane activity. The rat, rat has no intrinsic benefit in touching that button. So it's not really desiring to touch that button. But then they decided to give it an, uh, a reward. And every time it touches that button, it gets a reward. It gets something that, you know, it, 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 some pellet or something. Now it regularly touches that button. So that's a simple concept. You can imagine, you know, it's, it's, it seems pretty uh, trivial. But a lot of these buttons that we have now on social media, can we trace back to this concept? You know, in 2007, when that Facebook like button was established, that was, even in the minds of the engineers that were putting it together, it seemed to be a simple feature. You can easily click a button and press like, and you can express your appreciation of that post or picture or whatever to its author. But it went viral very quickly. It became popular extremely quickly. And the reason is, because when you press that button, you get this pleasure of being able to express that appreciation. And the authors are also looking for that pleasure rush that comes from receiving those likes. And all of a sudden, it takes on an addiction, uh, a pattern of almost addiction, where you're doing it for that dopamine rush. So these you know, different technologies have developed um, with going on that trajectory of serving and trying to keep our engagement as much as possible. You know, looking at it from a bigger picture, why are these platforms established? Why are these companies there? Why does Facebook exist? Or, you know, Instagram? Was it just a charitable activity? You know, it's free, right? You can sign up for it, it's totally free. Um, is it just a charitable activity so it can connect you with your family back home? So, alhamdulillah, you know, mashallah, they're investing billions of dollars in infrastructure and networking and software engineers that they're paying tons of money to. All of that is just so that, you know, mashallah, you can call your grandma and alhamdulillah, very innocent, beautiful activity. Is that really the purpose behind these mega billion dollar companies? Obviously not. There is a purpose and the purpose is to make money. The purpose is to make money, right? So if you're not paying for the product, then who is paying for it? Whenever you use something, you think about it, right? If you're getting something for free, as one of my friends would say, that if you're not paying for the product, then you yourself are the product. If you're not paying for the product, then you yourself are the product. These companies, you're not their customers. Who are their customers? Anybody know? Advertisers. So they take your information. They take everything that you provide them for free. All of the data, all of the likes, all of the posts you looked at, the posts that, how long you spent on a post, how much time, whether you watched the video twice or thrice, whether you, know, you, you pass by it quickly, what things you click on, what things you kind of ignore. All of that data is fed into these algorithms. And ultimately, that is that data is then passed on to the advertisers so that the advertisers can target you with ads and things that they offer. So all of these different technologies are moving in a way to persuade us to shape our behaviors 
and to serve the interests of the companies and the advertisers so that they can make money off of us. So these platforms have been developing, and you know whether it's the latest one, TikTok, and I don't know how many things are out there. It's hard to keep abreast of this. And honestly, even though Brother Fran mentioned that you know, I'm in the tech field, a lot of people in the tech field know the harms of these things. And so on a personal level, they might be working on developing these features. The person who developed that like button himself became a pro an advocate against a lot of these features. He himself uses tools to block out those buttons on his social media. So the, the, the way these platforms have been progressing is that they're taking us down this rabbit hole, sinking us in, you know, into this endless consumption. And may Allah surround that protect us. But what the future looks for like, it's hard to predict, it's hard to imagine. But it's something that we have to be very careful of when we're looking at the nature of these products themselves. You mentioned many interesting points, right? And one of them I want to highlight is how these software developers or these developers, they're not using their own products that they may be actually creating themselves. You know, and I remember reading something about Mark Zuckerberger, how he said he wouldn't even let his children use Facebook, even though he's the founder of Facebook, right? So I think that's an important point to highlight what Moana said over here. And then another thing that you mentioned is you know, these advertisers and what, how you know, these companies, what are they really trying to do is trying to get us to stay logged in onto their platforms. And I remember there was a documentary where they were interviewing all these people from Silicon Valley, all these developers, and how they were talking about how they manipulate the algorithms to constantly make sure that the people, they stay onto these platforms. So that was very interesting what you were saying. But before we delve in deeper into that, you know, I want to be a little bit fair, right? And I want to ask you something, is that anytime a argument is presented, you also have to hear both sides, right? So what are some benefits to technology and social media, or are there any? So I asked one of my friends um, this when I came back from Pakistan, social media. You know, I was spent my time studying in Pakistan and this stuff had just started. We didn't have smartphones. My first smartphone was when I came back. That was 2012. Someone gave it to me as a gift for graduation. And uh, um, so I asked one of my friends about this. And he said, Yes, Alunak anil Facebook, what Twitter, what Instagram, Ulfihima. And, you know, of course, everything has manafir, everything has benefits. And that is the reason. They get us with this, right? I mean, if you're coming, you know that you're, you're only going to be harmed by this. And there's no benefit. There's no benefit, you know, in terms of being able to connect with others. Then why would you waste your time on this, right? So obviously, there are benefits in terms of being able to connect with friends and family, um, being able to be abreast of developments in other parts of the world. Um, and I, I really don't need to, you know, expound on that. I think a lot of us are aware of that. But we do need to be very conscious users of these technologies. Yes, we can use these to benefit. We can live stream the event, alhamdulillah. We can, you know, um, we can have people that are not here, at least, benefit from the talks that were unable to make it. So alhamdulillah, there's benefit in that. You know, I was able to connect with my 
right? And we're seeing all these teenagers having smartphones nowadays and using social media. What age do you think is the appropriate time? And how can parents limit their usage? So with regards to what age, I think the question there is, generally, when we look at the studies, and there's plenty of studies that you find online with regards to the effects of social media usage on kids, especially as they approach adolescence and even beyond that, that illustrate a lot of the harms that come with social media. So you have, for example, Sapien Labs. They published a report um, just a, uh, a month ago um, after a large survey on 18 to 24-year-olds, about 28,000 subjects that they had surveyed. And amongst their key findings were that mental well-being consistently improved with older age of first ownership of smartphone or tablet. That we have a mental health epidemic, and there's a lot of issues that kids are going through. And one thing that they found is that consistently, the older the child is, when they first get their hands on a smartphone, the better the outcomes are in later in their lives. And this applied both to boys and girls, but it was far more pronounced for girls. And there were some, issues, some reasons that they mentioned with regards to that. Another thing was also with, you know, related to mental health was that suicidal thoughts or thoughts of aggression towards others, they also decreased, again, as, as later as the, 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 the children got the phones. So some things that were relating, you know, impacting this were the things that people see on social media. They see their friends having a good time. They see their friends having, being, you know, whether they're, they sometimes they see themselves excluded from activities that their friends are doing. There's body shaming. There's image, you know, sense of your own uh, image that especially affects girls. There's... Uh, there was a, a presentation that was done earlier this year, in February um, of this year, by the chief science officer at the APA, American Psychological Association. And he put a, uh, uh, there's a whole um, long report that you can find online on the Senate website. And it's, it's a very interesting read. It's something that any parent that is concerned about their children and their usage of social media should really go through to see all of the issues that they're highlighting that can impact kids uh, at this age. And so they said that, you know, one thing is that social interaction is something that's key to growth and development. You know, insan is someone, you know, that it's from uns. Like, we all need to know one another. We need to interact with one another. المؤمن مألف ولا خير في من لا يألف ولا يؤلف right a believer is someone that is connected is with others but social media gives this false sense of connection it gives this sense of connection that I'm connected with so many people but as was mentioned earlier in the talk today by my dear father that there are studies that show that despite Immense usage of social media. People are feeling more lonely than ever before. 
And that sense of loneliness then really harms the child. It harms adults, but it also harms the children. So social media, it doesn't provide that real in-person physical interaction. And it also doesn't provide support that is by positive upliftment of individuals. Rather, the nature of social media is that it amplifies certain things. You know, it emphasizes metrics. So a person is looking at their profile on, on any platform, and they're looking for likes. They're looking for comments. If they don't get the likes that they're looking for, or if they don't get the comments, they start to have a negative self-perception that, oh, maybe people don't like me. Maybe I'm not that cool. I'm not that popular. And that causes self-harm. There was another thing that was mentioned there um, in that report, and that's something that's also very important, is that as children are entering puberty, their brains are developing, and different parts of the brain develop at a different pace. So there are parts of the brain that develop that are craving social attention. They are craving the likes. They are craving the attention from others. And, that, and when they get those likes, when they get those you know, comments from others, that can feed and trigger that craving and cause that part of the brain to develop further. And then there are other parts of the brain that are there to protect us from negative behaviors. Those parts of the brain, like the prefrontal cortex, that is, develops a bit slower. So what ends up happening is even negative activities, negative images that are posted online, when they are associated with likes, when they are associated with a positive reinforcement from peers, then people, the, the, the youth, they start to associate that with positive activity. And so they'll post you know, images of themselves doing negative behaviors just in search for those likes. And that leads them down a rabbit hole of all types of negative activities and behaviors. And so, you know, in summary, in general, like, the, the approach should be that social media usage should be, you know, at a, at a, I would say I would limit it. For my own kids, alhamdulillah, so far, no, so, no phone, they're, you know, the oldest is eight. Uh, I don't plan to give them a phone for a while. Uh, but as long as we can avoid that, avoid that. And there are technologies out there where you can have a phone that allows you to call and text you know, different situations. You have to drop your kid off at a school or uh, at someone's home and you need to be able to communicate. And there are phones that allow that, that facilitate that. So there's Gab phones and Bark phones and different things out there that allow parents to be in touch with their children while simultaneously controlling access to these social media platforms that would be harmful for them. Another thing to comment on that though was something that my father mentioned earlier was that this also requires a network of friends. Because otherwise what happens? There's peer pressure. My friend has this phone. My friend is, has a Facebook account. My friend is on Instagram. How come I can't do this? Why are you preventing me from doing this? So if there are friends that they associate with that also have the same set of parameters that they work with, then it becomes a lot easier for everybody to work together on that. Yeah, that's very interesting. You know, one thing you were saying about friends and making that network. I was reading a research study where they were saying that one of the harms of social media 
is the lack of social skills that children are developing. 43% of children, right, they're using their phones and their smartphones and social media to avoid social, like avoid meeting other people. And that's why you see, like if you ever walk into a dawat anymore, right, and you see all the children, a lot of them are not even talking to one another. Like when we were younger, we were forced to because we had nothing else, either video games or there was no phones, smartphones or anything like that. But now, like if you walk in, every single child is on, their, on a smartphone and their parents are just handing it to them so they stay quiet so they could talk to the other adult in the room, right? And I think we as parents need to take back control. You know, alhamdulillah, I also have a 10-year-old, three kids, alhamdulillah. And one, one thing I tell my child, he always asks me, can I get a phone, right? And I'm like, no, you're not getting a phone until you become 15, 16, maybe even not then, maybe 17. I know you might say I'm crazy, but why? Like, I know the harms of it. Why would I give something harmful to my child, right? If we know that something's harmful to our children, why would we give it to them willingly, you know? And I think as parents, we need to take back control. And that's something that we're lacking today, is that we're afraid of our kids. We're afraid of how they're going to rebel. We're afraid of what they're going to say to us because we don't have the control on them because we never develop that relationship with our children. And I know this goes into a deeper topic and I, w I don't wanna go into that right now, but one thing I always tell parents is that you need to spend at least five to 10 minutes a day with each child, each child, and develop that relationship so that you know when you tell them no, they don't rebel against you, that they don't you know, go away and they say, I hate my father. I had just, right today, I had a client, right? And she, you know, I'm not gonna say anything, but the, but the client told me, I don't like my parents. I don't like my parents because I felt neglected. I felt like they never gave me time when I was younger. It was never about me. And that's what I'm hearing more and more happen. You know, so we need to make sure as parents, we're doing our due diligence. And children want to be Govern children want to have that parental supervision and like somebody telling them something But you have to keep it balanced. You have to keep it balanced So I really like that point Milana where you're mentioning about lack of social skills But what are some other? Harmful effects that you're seeing today other than you know the mental health aspect or maybe you could delve into that or more or so forth and with regards to social media in general, um, going back to the way the algorithms are structured and the way they work, is they're there to show you things, as someone put it, it's not what you need to see or what will benefit you, but what you cannot look away from. But what you cannot look away from. And so um, there was this uh, study that um, uh, the Wall Street Journal had done on uh, TikTok. And what they did is they wanted to do an experiment to see how it understands its users. So, so they set up 100 bot, bot accounts and they kind of programmed each of those bots to like or you know, pause on or replay a video that fell into a particular category. So the bots were configured you know, to so based on the interests that they were programmed for, um, the, the bots would, you know, whether the, their interest is 
some sort of you know, environmental thing or whether it's a, a political candidate or whether it's uh, some you know, dance moves or whatever it was, the, the bot was you know, programmed to focus on those videos and see how quickly TikTok figures out what the bot's algorithm, uh, you know, interests are. And they found that it, within, um, within two hours on average, TikTok was able to, the algorithm was able to figure out that bot's interest. And what that means is that, let's say the bot was programmed to look for sad content or depressing content. So there are sad videos out there, and it was kind of like, you know, watching them on replay and so on. And as the video started to progress, within a few hours of watching, it started to rabbit hole into a whole bunch of extremely sad content. Now, what happens is, imagine that there's a human behind this. And the human is kind of being attracted to that content. That content is reinforcing their own self of, a sense of sadness, of depression. It's not helping them get out of that. It's taking them deeper, deeper into the rabbit hole. And that's what they described it as, that it, went, it rabbit holed very, very quickly. So, the whole premise is, they want to keep your engagement as much as possible. You know? You're spending, not money, but minutes, and attention, and focus. And that's the currency that you're providing in, or in return for the advertising and all of that. So, what type of content is most, what, get, what type of content gains the most currency on, on these platforms? It is a, you know, a nice nasiha, a long bayan, a while after, you know, khatira after fajr, gets, goes viral. Or is it like hot takes, refutations, takedowns, you know, uh, scandals. Like, Naturally, as you go through your own feed, the post starts with a hadith, uh, ayah, and you're like, like, I've heard this, you know, I've heard this. I'm looking for something that's more juicy, that's sensational, that's exciting, right? That's like, uh, that will keep my attention. Uh, you have a clip and it shows like, watch till the end, watch till the end, right? I mean, you've seen those? Watch till the end, and you're waiting for that aha moment, or that surprise, or something crazy happening to the main person in the video, right? So, hate speech, outrage, that is what gains most currency on this. And, you know, continuous cycles of outrage, uh, mudslinging, name-calling, all of that gets likes, gets followers, gets comments, gets support. You feel like, oh, you know, I'm doing a great thing, let me keep going. That, that ends up being a very dominant content on our social media, even amongst Muslim circles. And then we spend hours debating topics, and every, it's, it's an equal platform. Whether it's a sheikh, whether it's a alim, whether it's a scholar, whether it's a layperson, whether it's a person who has no knowledge, everybody is there debating, hashing it out, attacking each other. It's, it's a mud fest. It's, it's, it can turn into a huge, nasty uh, situation very quickly. And so when, it, when these types of content, you know, become, um, uh, this is what the platform can easily promote. And so that's one type of thing that we're seeing. Other types of things that you see is, you know, effects on the brain. And I don't, I don't know if you have a separate question for that. Well, but, you know, 
just because you're talking about hot takes, right? I want to ask you a hot question as well, right? <laughs> because you're seeing all like social media being, you could obviously be used to disseminate knowledge on there. And there's a lot of so-called scholars on these platforms nowadays using it to mudsling, using it to denounce real scholarship and talking negatively about them and, you know, like giving their point of view. So what should be the Islamic guideline then? And how should we observe social media? Because, you know, this is what's happening and it's, this is what's selling. I would say that get connected with your local scholarship. The, the, one of the negatives of this, um, these platforms is that people feel they don't have the need to connect with their local scholarship anymore. You know, I don't like my imam, I don't like my sheikh. I, it's an equal, you know, equal opportunity. I can go out online and find whoever I want. I can go and talk trash about anybody I want. And instead of being a true search for knowledge, this becomes more of a fulfillment of the ego, a fulfillment of the nafs, a desire to just please your own self. So connecting with your local scholarship and getting off of these debates, there's no benefit, there's no outcome from these debates. It's just, it leads to burnout. You know, as one uh, author was mentioning, that there are, every action that we do, it has, it has like first order effects and second order effects. The first order effect might be that sense of pleasure that, oh, I was able to refute that person, or I said something witty, or you know, I was able to sh put him down or shut him down. But the second order effect, the long-term effect is, it leads to burnout. It doesn't lead to positive growth for the community. It leads to this, you know, where it's, it's not being a positive benefit for yourself or for the community. Versus the example that he was mentioning earlier, when Jamaat al-Tabliq started, or any effort of deen starts, like Darul Salaam started. This didn't come overnight. It came over decades of working and working regularly, you know, drip, drip by drip, working on it. A student of knowledge acquires knowledge over time. A community is built over time. But that, the first order effect is slow. That immediate khutbah, that immediate dars might not have a transformative effect on the entire community and all of a sudden the community is different. But over years and years and decades, you see the effects. And so focusing on those effort, efforts that have long-term benefit, even though the short-term might not be as immediate, you know, reward, is much more beneficial than this short-term activity that gets you that high and then it leads to burnout and then there's, there's no result at the end. And sometimes people end up leaving the deen completely as a result of that. And I think it's very important that we know who we're following and be careful of who we follow, right? My son, he was scrolling through YouTube listening to lectures and I was listening to some of the things and I was like, hold up, you can't be listening to this, right? Because they're very young and, and personable and like impressionable. And so what happens is that, you know, they get affected very easily and we get affected very easily. And if we don't know what true scholarship is, right? You're hearing it throughout the whole seminar over here this whole three-day weekend, you know, we think that, oh, a person quotes a little bit of Arabic over here. They say, you know, some ahadith over here, and now this is true scholarship, but we don't really know if they're e which way they're leading us. So we should really connect back to our local scholars like Malana Saab is mentioning over here. And, you know, I know you, um, you were going to talk about, you wanted to mention more about the dopamine and uh, the effects of the brain, 
Um, so do you want to expand about that? Um, I'll mention one thing uh, that was uh, related to attention span. So effects on the brain with regards to attention span. So there was uh, a study that was done in 2016 uh, in the Denmark uh, Technical University. And what they did is they wanted to analyze what is, how has attention span changed over the years? So they looked at the 2013 data that they were able to collect of trending topics on Twitter. And they found that on average, people are focused on a topic for 17 and a half hours before that topic kind of started to die down and something else became the hot topic of the day. By 2016, that number had dropped to 11 and a half hours. So from 17.5 to 11.6, almost six hour decrease in just a three year span. And there are similar patterns they found for Google, searches, Reddit, and so on. So now this was just a, a kind of analysis of, of historical data, the how long did a topic stay active. But it was indicative of a general pattern where people lose attention much quicker. That topic stays hot for a short amount of time. At that time, it's the most important thing. You're distracted from your family, you're distracted from your kids, you're distracted from work. You really need to respond to that, you really need to watch everything that was posted about that. And then it moves on, and then the next topic comes on. And so, there were, they, they concluded that there is a general trend and an alarming trend in how our attention spans are decreasing over time. Uh, another thing, uh, another study found that, and this is some, you know, they did some math to com compute this, but they said in, in, in 1986, that an average Westerner consumed about 40 newspapers worth of information a day. Whether it's from the newspaper, whether it's from the television, whether it's from the radio, whether it's from, you know, other sources. By 2004, it had risen almost four times to 174 newspapers worth of information. I'm not sure how exactly they calculate that. But the point is that the amount of information that we're getting, being exposed to, the information overload that's happening, and this is still 20 years ago, so compare it to now, with all of the dings and chimes and bells that we're constantly being exposed to on our phone. You can't look away from, from your phone for you know, a few minutes without getting something. All of that leads to an effect on the brain. How long can you concentrate? How long can you pay attention? How long can you retain information in your own memory? And, you know, personally speaking, like, I know a huge difference from when I used to study in Madrasa, where we had no, phones were not allowed, smartphones not even there, even a phone with a camera, and even till today, Darul Ulum Karachi, for example, I visited last year and asked our um, uh, teacher who was in charge of the whole Darul uh, Iqama, and he said, There's this policy remains. It's very strict. They're not allowed to have any smartphones on campus. No phone with a camera. So I was like, how is that possible? He's like, they're not allowed to. And they've you know, expelled many students that were caught breaching that policy. So the point I was saying is that back when I was studying there, and now having succumbed to this myself, you can see the effects on your own mind. You can see the effects on your own brain. So this is something that is very real. And it is something that, you know, again, we have to be aware of.
So, you know, this overstimulation, I'm really glad you mentioned it because one of the things is that, you know, it can make our brain's pleasure centers less responsive to enjoyable experiences like you're mentioning reading, right? How many people even read today or ha like to have a conversation with somebody, uh, one of their friends, right? This overstimulation is making us not enjoy these simple joys of life anymore. And I think that's important that, you know, we monitor our usage, right? And limit it as well, inshallah. But, you know, one thing, I see a lot of adults here, right? I don't want to just focus on children and what the effects that it has on them. Because we're seeing how social media and the usage, over usage, is killing marriages and affecting marriages today. So can you expand upon that? Or what are your thoughts about what it's doing? So there are a lot of studies that you can find online with regards to social media and its effect on, um, on relationships, on marriages. And uh, uh, in general, you know, whether it's, regarding, whether it's with regards to less time spent with one another. Um, so the, for example, let me find uh, some statistics. So in 2014, Facebook was mentioned in approximately... 35% of divorce cases in the UK. 35% of divorce cases in, in the UK attributed the, one of the causes, obviously, never is divorce just a single cause thing, um, but Facebook was mentioned as one of the causes. Uh, a study in Spain found that people who use social media more frequently were four and a half times more likely to experience conflict with their, um, with their partners. Um, same year, 2014. WhatsApp, it was reported that WhatsApp is causing, th these are all European studies, uh, WhatsApp was causing nearly 40% of divorces in Italy. And so, there's a lot of factors that come in, right? Whether it's with regards to the fake social interaction that we're having online at the to the detriment of the people that we're around with. You know, you're spending more time online, we're sitting on dinner together, but everyone's on their phone. You don't get time to build that connection with your immediate family members. Or whether it's the effects of looking at other people's lives online. That's another important thing. Where people post, you know, when you post something about your life, you post something that looks good. You want to get likes, right? You're not going to post a sad, sob story and hope to get likes and shares about that, right? Um, so you see the highlight reel of everybody else's family, and then you see your own family, and you're like, man, they have it so good. I don't have that. They're on vacation all the time. He's getting promoted, you know? She looks like that. He has this car. All of this stuff is amplified so much more because of all of the things that we're seeing on social media. So what that leads to is dissatisfaction with our own lives. And then obviously that results in that can result in conflict with, uh, with, uh, with our spouses. Um, so there are, you know, many, uh, when you look online, in general, there was, um, you know, there was another study that, uh, this was from last year, that the studies, uh, Computers and Human Behavior, it's a journal, and it, uh, it did a study, and they predicted that People that do not use social media are 11% happier in marriages than people that regularly use it. So that was an overall average 
on how social media can negatively impact um, relationships. So in general, you know, as long as people have guidelines on how they're using their social media, especially at home, and what type of content they're posting, that's another thing that comes up. You know, sometimes the content that they're posting, there's becomes a problem when other people find out that you posted this. Why did you post this? That can also lead to conflict. So all of these issues, you know, have lead to these uh, impact in, in marriages and an increase in divorce cases. That's something to be aware of and something to be uh, concerned about as well. So I want to add a few points over here as well, is that according to Pew Research Center, the Pew Research Center, 40% of married couples have said that they were bothered by their spouse's usage of social media, right? We're seeing a lot of couples, because of social media and technology, they're not even talking with one another. They're coming home from work, and rather than greeting their spouses, they say, I want to decompress, I want some time to myself, I want to scroll through Facebook, TikTok, whatever social media uh, that they want to look at, right? And we need to reconnect with their spouses. I mean, when you come back from, you know, nine to five, right? And you walk inside that door, the first thing should not be, okay, let me see what's going on on Facebook. What's, let me see what's going on on Instagram. It's about, hey, how are you doing? How was your day? You know, reconnecting with your spouse. Because when you do not do that, what it shows your spouse is that they're not important. That this phone right here is more important than them. And we're seeing a lot of couples they're, you know, they're getting disinterested with one another and they're becoming more interested with the people who are on their phones that don't even have a direct impact on their lives. I mean, how sad is that? Most couples can't even talk to each other for 10 minutes a day. Ask yourself this, don't raise your hands, but how many, how many people actually could sit here for 10 minutes every single day face to face and speak to your spouse? But yet, we could scroll through social media for five to six hours. Right? That's kind of sad if you really think about it. So we need to really, you know, value the people in our relationships. And another problem that we're seeing is how it's leading to more cheating. Right? That rhymes a little bit. But it's leading to more cheating because now you have all these people that you're reconnecting with, with and, you know, being friends with the opposite gender on there. You're liking their posts. And Mufti Saab, he mentioned it earlier in the pornography talk about, you know, how you know, all of this is leading to uh, like the opposite gender, like saying nice things to one another and it opens the doors, right? And so what it's doing is that now it's opening the doors to talking to the opposite gender and people are sliding through DMs, right? Or they're talking to other people and there's exchanging pictures and all of these things. And that's what we're seeing all this fahisha happening. So we have to be really careful of how we use it and also what the boundaries, right? We talk to our spouses about boundaries. As, okay, what, who are we allowed to befriend? Who are you not comfortable with me befriending? Obviously, personally, I think that, you know, we should just keep the gender segregated, right? But I mean, I understand that that's not always possible on Facebook and everything, but be careful. Have your spouse look over who you're texting as well because it's a slippery slope. Right? It's very easy to start DMing somebody and then one, like you talk about some Dini aspect and then right after that Dini aspect it becomes how are you doing? Oh, maybe we should uh, meet up and then it leads one thing to the next, 
right? And we've seen cases after cases of this, and you probably read cases after cases as well of what's happening. So we need to be very careful about our social media usage and making sure we're not crossing the boundaries as well. And one last thing before I ask Moana uh, another question is, you know, this whole thing about sexting, because, you know, 23% um, of teenage girls and 34% of, of teenage boys have said that they felt pressured into sexting, right? Sending a sexually explicit photo of themselves to the opposite gender, right? Because they want to fit in or they want to like brag about it, right? So, I mean, how many of people that we know that have been doing these kinds of things? And we need to be careful that what our children are doing and what we're also doing as well because adults are not excluded from that, right? But what are our children doing and who are they sending uh, photos of themselves to? You know, Snapchat, right? We're talking about Snapchat earlier. Yes, it was used to like take pictures, people see it for 15 seconds or not, or less, and then it disappears. But then what were uh, high schoolers using it for? They were using it to send sexually explicit photos of themselves, taking a picture, sending it through Snapchat. They see it for 15 seconds and it disappears, but they're forgetting that people could take screenshots, right? So they're taking screenshots and then they're sending it throughout the whole entire school to everybody, getting cyberbullied and all of these things, and now their photo of themselves is out there for everybody to see. So really pay attention to what you know, our children are using these gadgets for, you know, I say this is like a loaded gun, right? Because it could lead to so many harmful things, especially like pornography that we were talking about earlier, to sex thing, to all of these harms. And you know, it's it could be irreversible sometimes, or it could take a long time for the child or ourselves to, you know, correct whatever was happening. Now, I know our time is running out, Malansa, but I just want to ask you, how can one be responsible about their social media usage? So with regards to this, it comes down, again, starts off with the intention. We need to be intentional about everything that we're doing. And on the Day of Judgment, Everything that we're doing, whether it's online, whether it's in person, it's being recorded. So we need to be intentional about what am I using this platform for? What is the intention of me posting something? What is the intention of me looking up something? Why am I liking this? Why am I commenting on this? Is this just to, you know, fulfill some sort of pleasure or is is there a real maqsad behind this? Having, having that intention very clear in mind will stop a lot of these activities in their tracks. And remembering that the principles of deen when it, with regards to conversation, with regards to the speech that we say, apply whether it's in person or whether it's online. You don't, the rules, the pens are not lifted when we're online. Right? It's not like you can be a different person online. And many people do this. They post content online that they would never say to the person in front of them. But online they can get away with it. Because it's not in person. You don't have that sense of haya anymore. So remembering that all of that is still part of our kitab. And we know, I mean, technology and anything posted on the internet lives forever. So we don't even have to prove to anybody that this is part of our kitab. Right? It's all part of our kitab. So being aware of that 
is something that is very important. Alongside that is having sort of strategy for when we're going to use a phone, when it's not going to be used. Maybe setting times, and depends on different people's circumstances. But you know, as I mentioned, one of my friends, his policy, it's in the morning. That's it. After that, he's busy. He doesn't have time for this. So having a set time, it's intentional, it's focused, it's get to, do, to get some work done, and then I'm off. And then I'm not getting back on that. Um, and there are mechanisms. Allah SWT has instituted salah for us in our, in our daily schedule, five times a day. Now what ends up happening is, right before salah, we're on our phone. Salaamu Alaikum, Salaamu Alaikum. And out comes the phone. And sometimes it's because I want to do my adhkar on the phone, or I want to read Quran on the phone before. But usually it's something else. So, un- use those opportunities to unplug. If you're coming to the masjid, something that I found personally very beneficial, and I've noticed a difference because sometimes, you know, I don't, I don't, I haven't adhered to that. So if I come to the masjid with my phone during salah, I can sense it vibrating, or I can sense the notification going off on my watch. And if I leave the phone in my car, it's a very different salah, and it's honestly, it's very relieving. And you know, I'll just say this as a joke, but I usually do this when I'm at work. The time, the phone's in the car. I don't want to be bothered by work messages. <laughs> and it's very relaxing. And I've told everybody, I'm not here. So one to two, I'm not there. So they'll message me still, but they know they won't get a response. And I don't have to worry about it. It's very relaxing during salah. I come back and then I can look through it. Otherwise, when I have my phone with me, it's like, oh, why did they, you know, who messaged? Who, well, was it related to something that I, I was supposed to do right now? Was it something that I had messaged earlier? Is there a meeting that I missed? You're free from that anxiety when you don't have that with you. So having those, you know, regular downtimes when that phone is not going to be with me, that is also uh, a mechanism for this. And then being careful about who the, which type of people we're following online, you know? Um, so all of these different, uh, there's many different uh, techniques. There's also technology that can assist us in this usage, whether there's apps that help monitor your time, whether there are, um, uh, uh, you know, the people that we are following, being careful about that. There's different approaches um, for that. But again, it goes back to being conscious about this, not letting it just go with the flow. Because if you, let it go, if you just go with the flow, it will suck you in, and that is how these platforms are designed. There is no accident in that, in, the, in these platforms. All right, we've got 30 seconds. I'm just going to quickly say one more th- add on to that and just say, you know, audit your social media diet, right? Just like how we monitor what we eat nowadays, everybody's like health conscious. Also, be, monitor what you put into your hearts, right, and your mind. Be careful about that. Do some muhasaba, and also create a better online experience. You know, you don't have to follow everybody. You don't even have to follow all your friends. I wouldn't even recommend that because we get FOMO sometimes, right? And we want to constantly check what other people are doing. And that also causes a lot of anxiety. So don't follow everybody just for the sake of following them. Follow people that are beneficial and could actually help you getting to your goal, inshallah. So the time's up. And I want to say one thing. I just want to say Jazakumullah khairan for everyone here. And, you know, we always talked about scholarship when we were growing up and said, you know, scholarship, what is scholarship? And, you know, these scholars are backwards. They don't know enough. But I think this is a proof this weekend of the level of scholarship that we have, alhamdulillah. And I want everybody to say takbir for that because we're seeing that. And I want to encourage all of you to send your children to study over here. 
Send your children here to study and see, like you saw Mulana Yusuf, he was a graduate, and you saw what he's doing, and you see Mulana Munib, how he's software development, you're seeing uh, Dr. Mateen, he's a doctor, all of these things, you could have both, inshallah. You could learn your deen, and we need to send our children to learn their deen, so they could go back out in society and affect others as well. So make sure you guys learn about the programs over here, learn about how we can send our children, and dedicate them and send them insha'Allah. So jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.